0: or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. I want to invite all of you in the Building the Future community to join me at Supex, the startup expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, this July 26th, where I'll be the MC. SUPEX is one of the largest and best startup conferences in the U.S. and the official gathering of the Building the Future community this summer. SUPEX has cutting-edge content, a cool startup competition, and a half-day forum this year called Hashtag Women for Women, the largest gathering in the U.S. in 2018 of angel groups, seed funds, and BC funds focused on female founders and female entrepreneurs. For more information, visit www.sup-x.org. I hope to see all my Building the Future friends there. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Spencer Fry. He's the founder and CEO at Podia. Spencer, welcome to the
1: show. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I'm, I'm actually, I've kind of followed your career a little bit since kind of um, the Carbon Made days. That's kind of where I, I think um, no, I, I kind of started following what you guys were doing. But maybe before we get yeah. into all the fun stuff, Let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure. Um, so I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, um, which is best known as having Yale University there. Sure. Uh, there's not much else. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah I, uh, I was fortunate that so I'm 34 years old now, so I was okay. fortunate to live on campus okay. from a young age. And that meant I had access to really, really high-speed internet nice. uh, from like the age of eleven, when everyone else was on AOL dial-up modems. So I was <laughs> sure. able to experiment a lot with like internet stuff. Um, I guess twenty-three years ago. <laughs> wow.
0: Sure. No, that's great. I, I know. I I kind of got lucky too. Where Where I grew up, we had high-speed kind of internet since like kind of the mid '90s. We were like one of the first. Mm-hmm. Provinces in kind of North America to get really kind of true high-speed internet outside of kind of the government or university campuses. So I, I totally, yeah. I totally get that. But so you went to to Yale, correct? Mm-hmm.
1: What did you? Yeah, take? I. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say I didn't stray that far from home.
0: <laughs> okay, sure. No, that, well, uh, I think most people have heard of Yale, and I, I totally get why you <laughs> you chose to go there. But what did you take there, and and what made you take
1: that? Mm-hmm. So, I actually started um, as a computer science major for the first two years of school. Sure. But I I quickly switched to um, psychology for my junior and senior year because in my sophomore year, I started, uh, I guess you could say, like my first real successful internet startup.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, the computer science degree at Yale is like super demanding.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, So, I wasn't able to balance both. So, I chose. Getting a degree in like a slightly easier um, discipline than trying to do computer science as well as run TypeRag, which was my first big startup.
0: Sure. so what exactly um, was typefrag or or is TypeRag?
1: Mm-hmm. So the crazy thing is it it still exists today. That's great. Um, I haven't been a <laughs> yeah I haven't <laughs> been a part of it for many, many, many years. okay um, but it was the uh, first voice over IP company for for computer game players to be able to play games together online. So basically sure. what that meant was um, you and your friends or you and your teammates uh, could talk to each other uh, while playing video games instead of having to, like, type everything out. Sure. Uh, and we were the first. Wow. Uh, and it went super, super well. Um, I think the numbers are that we launched it in March 2004. Try not to date myself. 2005. <laughs> uh, so my sophomore year, I think that was, sure. and we went from zero dollars um, $0 in revenue, so zero MR in March to okay. about 140,000 forty thousand
0: MR wow. in July.
1: Wow! So I, in like four months.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I, to be fair, I remember actually using that, playing online games with oh, really? with my like friends at the time. Like, and for people that don't remember, like that almost changed the entire kind of online gaming space, right? And maybe you could even yeah. argue it did, because... Oh, it did, definitely. Just not having to type on the keyboard was... Like, it sounds kind of insane, but at the time, it was huge, right? Like, and I, people yeah. still, obviously, just chat on something now um, and don't have to worry about it. but But at the time, it was, like, game-changing.
1: Yeah, and the biggest thing, too, is that It let you form relationships with other players um, outside of just the game. So what we actually saw, it was super interesting that people would just join these voice servers that we were hosting Uh um, while they weren't even playing. So they would just like hang out with their friends and and just chat and then play games together. But it was more like this community atmosphere. Um, And then the other, the other big thing, my claim to fame, although I can't prove this, but I'm like (laughs) 99% sure (laughs) um, that, so Type was actually the first company ever, in my opinion, <laughs> sure. to uh advertise on podcasts.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, so
1: this was this was two thousand five. Wow, that would have been super there weren't early even, on. like Yeah, so there there wasn't even I, this idea of iTunes podcasts or anything like that, but there was these people that were creating these uh basically like voice uh segments around games and stuff like that. And we were one of the first actually I think we were the first to advertise on them.
0: Sure. That's wild. So just just for yeah. out of curiosity, did you guys raise money for that, or how did you guys kind of build version yeah. one of that?
1: yeah, so uh for my first three startups never raised a dollar um okay. only only in uh, Podia that we raised money sure. um so we really just it was just my co founder and I um building the product, design the product, et cetera and and really just kind of growing the whole thing based off of revenue, sure,
0: oh very cool, okay so. Yeah. Walk me through, kind of, you know, from Typefrag. Like, how did Carbon Made um, come together mm-hmm. and, and kind of be known um, in, in the space?
1: So, um, so basically, after after Typefrag, I worked on that for about four years. Okay. Um, I connected with uh, these two guys out of Chicago, and we started building Carbon Made together. Okay, um, and sim- similarly to Typefrag, it was actually the first. In the space in terms of online portfolio platforms, sure. um,
0: so
1: I've been fortunate to like be the first in a <laughs> lot of these things. And with Podia, Podia were again like the first for digital storefronts. Sure. Um, but so we immediately like owned the search terms on Google for online portfolio and free online portfolio. Like we were number one for both of those, and we right. just started to sort of explode in um, growth through Google search traffic. And then also the, down, um, the the downturn in the economy in 2008 really led to our growth because all these artists and designers and creative people were out of work and they yeah. all needed portfolios um, to, to find work. And similarly with TypeRite, we also had one of those like breakout moments where World of Warcraft came out yeah. and all these gamers were like, we need voice over IP. And so I've been fortunate to find <laughs> uh, or, like timing with with both startups.
0: Sure. Yeah, because I I still have like one of my good best friends of all time still goes down to BlizzCon every year. And the people that he he goes and meets up down there, they he basically met them playing World of Warcraft on, you know, something either type brag or or I think Ventrilo. Right. One of those two at some point. Um, So it's just it's crazy to, you know, to kind of just relate that back. Right. But so Carbon Made. I remember like a lot of people I think moved at least in, in kind of, um, I, I work as a designer kind of my day job, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I think at least for me, a lot of my kind of design friends um, were, were kind of moving their, their stuff to, to carbon made or maybe it was yeah. the first time actually putting their portfolio online I remember like people used to carry those big, like black portfolio cases yeah, around, exactly. <laughs> e- even web designers were doing it. Right. Because people wanted to see like a printed version of a website, which I, f- I thought was kind of hilarious yeah. at the time, but, or, or sometimes like they didn't maybe know how to build their own, um, web, website for their portfolio, or they didn't have the time cause they were just so busy. So yeah. carbon made, I, I remember that. And the, the one thing I think, and I think all of your startups that I can least remember, the, you, the illustration work that you guys yeah. have had and still have on kind of Podia has always been really, really well done. Um, Thank who, you. who does that? Is that you? Is that somebody else?
1: Uh, no, so it's it's been different people every time, but I just really, really value kind of brand and playfulness and okay. um, create, creativity. Um, I just feel as if almost every startup out there or like, just has such a, a bland look to it, and sure. it's very generic. And I try to I try to do something that's a little bit more um, eye catching, and like it might put some people off because not everyone wants to see illustrations. Sure. Um, but for other people, like they really kind of gravitate toward the brand, and they sort of find that they connect with the humanness of it. Sure. So illustration has just always been like a big part of um, any startup I've worked on.
0: Well, that's interesting. So. I want us just step into carbon made for a second. How did it kind of come Mm -hmm. to be you were were quickly talking about it, but we kind of sidetracked. I I want to get like the actual, like, how did it come? Why did you guys decide to actually start that up?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the, um, quick story is, uh, that I met this, these guys in Chicago, they had this design agency uh, called interface. Okay. Um, great guys, super talented. Um, Dave was a designer and Jason was a developer. Sure. And I joined them as uh, basically the one third partner of their design agency, and we started to kind of work on projects together.
0: Cool.
1: And so Dave had actually built and designed Carbon Made, like the first first version of it, like the initial kind of prototype, um, as his own online portfolio. Okay. And Jason had worked on sort of like the back end of it, and then we sort of put it out there, and people started to really gravitate towards it. And then we started to put more and more of our time and resources and energy into like building it as a thing. <laughs> and sure. then we were able to eventually, I think we got to about twelve K in monthly recurring revenue. Wow. And we were like, all right, we're not gonna take down any more client work. We're just gonna split this three ways, like four K a month, and we're just going to go full time into Carbon Made. Um, and then the rest is sort of history. <laughs>
0: sure. No, that's that's really cool, man. So you, you moved on from Carbon Made and you co founded Uncover. What, what, would, what mm-hmm. exactly was that, and uh, how did you decide to kind of found that up?
1: So uh, so basically, for again, I worked on CarMade for about four years. Sure. Um, we grew the team to like 12 or 13 people, wow. um, all, all bootstrapped, um, going really, really well. And then I wanted to sort of step into kind of something new. And I started working on Uncover, which was originally meant to be more of like a suite of business tools, for for, a comp- for online companies, okay, um, basically seeing a lot of the pain. Like I don't know if you remember, but you probably do. <laughs> 2011, but all the business SaaS tools were just terribly designed, really hard to yep. use, and I felt like there was a, a huge market for us to be able to kind of disrupt that, bring in like good design, good product, etc. Totally, yeah. So started so working. So I started working on Cover uh, for about a few years. We've had some success, like it was probably, it was definitely like the least successful of all, of anything I've worked on, but it, it still did pretty well. Okay. Um, but I just found that like two or three years into it, I just wasn't really into building B2B SaaS tools. And sure. I just wanted to get back into the, into working directly with individuals. Um, Cause we were having to sell into like HR departments and it was just, there was so much red tape and like so many meetings you would have to take and it was just kind of a pain.
0: <laughs> sure, yeah, no I, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I totally get that. So how did kind of Podia come to be and what exactly is it?
1: Mm-hmm. So basically my entire life, um, I've been around sort of teachers and academics. Um, both my parents are actually professors at Yale. Okay. Um, my dad actually just uh, retired very cool. uh, this past week. <laughs> oh,
0: very cool. Uh,
1: but I've been around like the whole like education market um actually his he's one of the first people to have an online course and in, oh, in that um yale has this program called open yale and okay. his course has been seen by like millions of people on youtube and yeah. itunes oh, very and so good. I've, I've been around that like yeah i've been around that online course digital learning space for a while just in my own life okay um and then i have i have like a lot of friends who. You know, are working on YouTube, are, you know, have big lists, create content, write ebooks, books audiobooks, etc. Sure. And found that they were having to sort of stitch together a bunch of different programs to make that work. So they'd have like their online course platform, they'd have their digital downloads platform, they'd have their email marketing pl- platform, they'd have their membership platform. And I felt like to make everyone's life easier, like let's put that all under one roof. Let's create a real digital storefront where you can sell all those things you don't have to have customers in every different place you don't have to take payment in all these different places let's consolidate that under one under one roof and and really just build like a true digital storefront where you can sell courses memberships and downloads
0: okay very cool no i i i think it's it's really great um because you're right like it it is kind of you can do all three of those things and switching between the two and and getting or two or three it, it can be kind of a nightmare as kind of if you're trying to sell mm-hmm. some of this stuff so kind of bringing it together um, makes a lot of sense. But for people that um, maybe haven't heard of Podia, let's dive a little bit deeper into exactly Mm -hmm. kind of what you mean by by those kind of three verticals.
1: Sure, so basically the hub is your own uh, digital storefront. So basically you can, if you're familiar with like Shopify, Canadian company. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Shopify sort of uh, paved the way with um, creating a storefront online, but for physical goods. So sure. we, start, we started there. So like you have your own storefront, um, it's on your own custom domain, or you can use our domain, and that's what houses all of your content. So whether that's an online course. So an online course is typically made up of videos or audio files or text and follows some sort of progression. So you're, you're sort of here to learn a thing, uh, whether that's like how to be a better marketer or how to... How to learn to code or whatever, and then a digital download is something like an ebook or an audiobook or a PDF or something that's smaller, something that you want to have your customers download to their computer and take with them. Okay. And then memberships is sort of a new concept that's been developing or been developed over the last like year or so, which is sort of works like Netflix in the sense that you have these members who are kind of your you know your most trusted fans or or something like that. And they have access to more of your content library. So maybe you pay $25 a month or maybe 50 or 100 We have some people paying like $1,000 a month to be a member. Wow. And that member is getting access to all of your content. So maybe all your courses, all your downloads, et cetera. And then they're also getting private updates from you, um, directly from from you as a content creator.
0: Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's very cool. And I, I think just tying those three together, because I, I think... Mm-hmm. To your point a second ago, you're right, like selling kind of digital downloads, there's a lot of people doing it, but it's a bit clumsy to do it online. So kind of tying the three together, because sometimes like you're building a course, but then there's like digital files that they actually need, and maybe you want one and not the other or both. And then I I think it also makes sense because at least in my experience, sometimes with the online course, you want to just like go through the, like, hours of course and then be done. But sometimes yep. you have this, like, okay, you've, you've done the course and then you're like, now what? You want to, like, keep kind of going, right? And you want kind of new content. And so actually yep. having a, a membership kind of around there where you can kind of keep being engaged because I think at least my own struggle with some of this stuff is you learn something new and then you never actually get to put it into practice or you're not kind of <laughs> keep up on it. You just kind of forget about it. And, you know, a year goes by and you're like, ah, let's get back into that. But then you kind of almost have to like rewatch everything. Right. But if you're kind of paying for something monthly, I think you're you're way more likely to use it, kind of stay engaged and kind of keep learning in that in that new space. Is that kind of a fair way to put it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. For memberships, definitely. It's much more intimate. It's more, you know, you with the with the creator. Um, whereas courses are amazing and we have a lot of people selling a lot of courses, um, but they're more something that you should sort of do on your own. Sure. Um, so memberships kind of ties that all together. Uh, but the, the big advantage really is that, you know, we handle for you as like the content creator, we handle all the payments for you. We handle all the, you know, the server infrastructure we hire, we handle all the account management stuff, everything. So really like all you really have to do is you have to add the content and then you have to market it. We even help you with all that as well. So for you as a creator, it just makes it so much easier for you. Like you only have to focus on content creation and marketing.
0: Okay. So, and then I basically put it in the platform and then you guys help me with everything else. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yep. And it's all it's all yours. So it's all in your own custom domain. Um, so like the easiest thing I can say is it's, it's basically like we're your web host for your website. Um, but instead of your website, it's a, it's a digital storefront.
0: I got you. Okay. So for people that maybe um are are kind of thinking about either doing, you know, one of these things or a couple of these things, how do you kind of maybe convince them or, or what do you say to them to actually start creating some of this content? Because I think part of the problem there's a lot of people that know something and, and have been thinking about this, but they're they're kind of just scared to maybe put their content actually out there and, and in kind of in front of people.
1: Yeah, I mean so you know, sharing is always like a scary thing, you know, because sure. you're always, you're concerned about, you know, how people are going to judge me or, or, you know, whether it's going to be successful or not. Um, but what really like, the first thing is, it's just to produce something. Um, okay. You know, you don't have to start with a full online course that's 20 videos or, or you know, three hours long, like you can start with a single video, or you can start with like, you know, a single piece of content, or you can start with like a single PDF, you know, the most important thing is to have something that, um, is going to teach something to someone else? So, you know, if you're a designer, maybe it's like, you know, a PDF on, these are my tips for, you know, landing new clients or, or these are my tips on how I think about a design process. And you can start there. You can start really simple. Um, start to build up an audience, start to like earn people's trust. And then really it's, it's really just about engaging your audience. Even if you have, I mean, we have people that have small lists of like 50 people or a hundred people or even 10 people, but are still making money every month, um, just by kind of targeting those people and really engaging with them. Sure.
0: Cause though you guys also do kind of, you have a newsletter platform too. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yep. So yeah. So the other, the other go, big go complicated thing, just sure. The other big complicated thing for selling online is that not only do you need a platform for selling your courses and downloads and memberships, but you also need a platform to to do all your email marketing. So we have a full suite of email marketing tools right inside Podia uh, for sending newsletters as well as trip content. So you can really just handle everything in one place. And it makes it a lot easier for you to engage with your customers like, you know, hey, so you can send a drip email that after they download your PDF that follows up with an email three days later and be like, hey, I'd love to learn, like, your thoughts. And um, you can sort of do all these kind of automated marketing things to really engage with your customers.
0: Sure. So maybe, I think you give kind of a pretty good overview, but maybe do you want to kind of, walk me through if i okay say i i really i'm creating some content and or a course like mm-hmm. so i i come to the site i get kind of a 30-day a trial i which is more than mm-hmm. enough time to kind of upload my content and, and start testing this out and then i basically upload my list and or start creating my my list and and then how does it kind of work on a month-to-month basis like as i'm um you know, adding new content am I sending do I have to send out emails the the drip kind of campaign stuff? Do you maybe want to kind of walk us through once sure. my content is kind of in there? How does it kind of keep going itself kind of automated kind of month to month mm-hmm.
1: so uh so there's two ways to do it like there's the um continually add new content every month or every couple of months okay. um, or there's the sort of longer term releases where you release something say, in January, and then you wait six months or a year to release something else. Mm -hmm. Um, For different people, those kind of content cadences work better, Um, you know, depending on how much time you want to spend and dedicate to creating content. But basically, like, the the simplest version is that you create an account with us, uh, you're dropped into the dashboard, and from the dashboard, you can start to add your products. So you can either add, like, a course, you can add a download, or you can create a membership. So, from there, so say let's go with courses. So, say you want to create a course. You create a new course on Podia. You add the content. You know, you set up your sales page. Um, you know, you put in the description. Give it a price. You connect to your Stripe account. You connect to your PayPal account to get paid. Um, another kind of big advantage to us is that we don't take any fees and all the money goes directly to you. Okay. Uh, so, you get to keep everything you earn. Okay. But after you've connected payment, after you've written your sales page, after you've put up your course content, you just publish it. And then from there you have a link that you can send people either through email or social media um, or post on, you know, the business card or whatever. Sure. <laughs> um, and then you can start to get customers. And so say, say I find your course and I, and I want to buy it, say it's like $99 so I buy the course I'm dropped into my own dashboard. That's directly with uh, under your name. Okay. And from there I can, from there I can engage with the course so I can open up the course. I can start to watch the videos, watch the content, but also I'm gonna see all the other content that, you, that you're that you offering. Okay. So say you add a new ebook, or say you add a new course that's gonna show up on my dashboard, um, or say you add a new membership plan, I can join that. Uh, so it's really interactive, and it's, it's all kind of under your brand and under your store, and as you add more and more things, your customers can easily kind of buy additional content from you.
0: Okay, very cool. You touched on something that I, I wanna dive a little bit deeper into. Um, is kind of pricing because um, you guys do it a little bit kind of different and I, I actually prefer the way that you guys do it. So do you maybe want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into kind of the, the couple packages and, and how you guys do pricing?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, one of the things that I've always believed throughout the last like 20 years I've been doing startups is that having simple and clear pricing is a big kind of like competitive advantage in a way. Sure. So we, so we just have two plans. Um, they're super straightforward. Um, uh, one's called the mover. Okay. It's uh, $39 a month, and that includes courses, downloads, email marketing, um, and basically everything you need in, in those areas. Yeah. And the other one is shaker. So that's uh, $79 a month. And it, it includes everything in mover as well as memberships. So memberships is, um, uh, basically exclusive to Shaker. But it lets you sort of start with movers, the so people that are just kind of starting with content and maybe they want to start with courses, they want to start with downloads. And then when they've started, started to build an audience, then they can kind of graduate into Shaker and start to create membership.
0: Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Like to kind of have, because um, I, I think, Some people are going to go right to memberships, but you're right. I think some people are going to start Mm -hmm. actually building their content before they kind of go to a bigger plan. That that totally makes sense. And I I agree. I love, you know, when there's like 37 choices of pricing, it it just gets so confusing, (laughs) right? Or even kind of like five or six, you're like, well, I I don't know. Like, So I I totally get why you guys just did kind of two. I I think that makes a lot of sense. Um,
1: The other thing... Go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, we also sort of think about it like for more of a startup-y or when you're thinking about building your own pricing plans, um, we think about it sort of as like, here's the person that's experienced and really knows what they want to do and has sold content online before, et cetera, as as that higher end plan. And then the other plan is more kind of conveniently priced, lower price for people that are sort of just getting started um, and want to kind of a price point that's easier for them.
0: Sure. No, that makes sense. So we really
1: sense. look at, like, the persona of the person as well.
0: I got you. Okay. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into this. Um, you said pretty much all your startups have kind of been bootstrapped. Um, and you, if I remember correctly, for for the first version of Podia, you did bootstrap it and then you raised money. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yes, yeah, that's correct. Um, I put in the first... Uh, 35 thousand dollars myself okay um, and I took no I took no salary for the first year so that was mostly to uh, hire a developer to help me <laughs>
0: oh, okay so it was just you and a developer to basically code the first version
1: yep yeah, yeah. Oh. and uh, also like a little design help as well sure
0: okay yeah that makes sense so how long did you guys spend before you actually released kind of podia version 1.0?
1: Sure. So um, it took a little bit of time. I think it took about, um, if I remember correctly, about nine months to a year to really kind of get the first version out. That doesn't mean like we we had something out previous to that, but it wasn't really kind of what it was today. What it is today, it was it was sort of like more just running tests that sort of thing. Um, But so the first year was it was just online courses. So we only, I've always wanted to build like a digital storefront from the start, but you know you don't want to. Build courses, downloads, memberships, and email marketing all from day one. Okay. <laughs> it's too much. Sure. So we started with just courses, and then um, about a year ago, we uh, added downloads okay. as you know sort of option two. And then this past December in two thousand seventeen, so about six months ago, or five months ago, four months sure. ago, <laughs> we we launched memberships um, and then email marketing as well. So there was some evolution to it. Um, but uh, we took it sort of one piece at a time.
0: Sure. No, I, I think that's that's really cool. So I think you guys do something really ballsy that I haven't seen many companies do where you specifically have, you know, some potential competitors um, and you, mm-hmm. you basically compare them and you have links to all of them. They're basically landing pages. What was your rationale behind actually kind of listing some of your competitors and, and kind of... Why Podia is, you know, offers more than them, really. Mm-hmm.
1: So I mean, it started from really just so many people asking me over live chat or email, like, how do you compare to X or how do you compare with what to Y?
0: Okay. And,
1: you know, I was saying, saying the same thing every single time, <laughs> like, sure. you know, this is why we're different. This is why we're better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then sort of from there, I was like, oh, let me just build out these marketing pages that sort of talk about specifics. So if anyone wants to compare us to a competitor, they can just kind of read it on their own and then I can sort of follow up with them if they have any more questions. Um, So that's, that's part of it. The other part is that we don't have any true competitor because we are the only digital storefront out there. So we have competitors in each one of these sort of product lines. So we have a competitor in online courses. We We have a competitor in downloads. We have a competitor in memberships. And so having these sort of, uh, sort of competitor pages allows us to tell that story where it's like, maybe you're thinking about X, but um, say you start with just online courses and then you wanna uh, add digital downloads in the future, you're kind of, uh, you're gonna to have to sign up for another platform, right? So yeah. it lets us tell them that, you know, you might be starting here, but really you wanna think about the future and, and kind of where you're gonna be five years from now.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I also think too, at least when I'm doing research, and, and I think a lot of people too, they'll they'll type in like a product and then kind of like alternative or alternates to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, But I also think that like you guys just even from like an SEO side of things, doing something like that has probably generated you a lot of traffic maybe when people aren't even necessarily searching for Podia.
1: Yep, and it's also great because if someone's searching for an alternative, that means that they're usually not happy <laughs> with yeah, what they have found. Interesting. Um, <laughs> so it's a it's a nice point to catch someone in uh, in kind of the in the cycle. Sure.
0: Well, and you touched on something too that I think um, I didn't really realize how much of a pain it was um, until kind of recently um, is and and you've mentioned a couple of times about actually like you build one like an online course or something and then you want to do something else like having four or five services that you need to pay for monthly is actually like quite costly and when yeah. your users come to your site and they need and they get jumped around to a handful of different domains it's really tricky to kind of keep them in the funnel right like it's it can be potentially really yeah almost like a nightmare user experience
1: yeah so like without a doubt 100 percent, we increase conversions if you're selling say courses and downloads or courses downloads and memberships or, or one of those combinations um if you move to us from previously having used like two or three platforms um 100 conversions are going to go up because it's going to make it easier for your customers um, it's going to make it easier for you um so there's that. There's also the, as you mentioned, the saving money side of things too. You know, if you're paying, say, like thirty nine, forty nine, fifty nine dollars per platform, and you're yeah. using say three or four platforms, you know, you're looking at a two hundred, three hundred dollar bill, um, and that's on like the low end plans. So say you're on the top plans, sure. then you're spending like four or five hundred dollars. So we've literally saved people and. I have like the records to show. Sure. You <laughs> literally save people like four or five hundred dollars a month. Oh, I could say that. Switching sure.
0: Well, and the other thing too yeah. is you guys don't take a cut of every time I sell something, right? Which yes. a lot of people don't I, I think a lot of people sometimes don't realize like if they have something that, you know, even sells a, a, a quite a few um, you know, versions, downloads or or, or courses or whatever, like If people are taking a certain percentage of that, that's a huge amount of your lost revenue, right? That I think people don't consider. Like, and you don't need to sell that many before you start looking. Like, oh boy, like I'm I'm paying them a lot of money.
1: Yeah, we we actually moved over a guy recently that had uh, a bunch of products on another platform, (laughs) and and that guy that guy was um, taking a ten percent commission. Uh, or sorry, that platform was taking a ten percent commission on everything he sold, wow. and he was selling uh, just under two hundred thousand dollars a year, wow. and so he was literally spending twenty thousand dollars a year in commission fees sure. to this to this company. And now he's with us, and he pays seventy nine dollars a month.
0: Yeah, so it, it's so. Like, <laughs> it's not even really a comparison, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But the funny thing is, like, so transaction fees in my opinion, anywhere, are sort of like creator unfriendly. And and one of our principles is really just to be put the creator first and just do everything for the creator. So um, it just didn't feel right that we should get a cut for, you know, your sweat selling and marketing one of your courses or products. Sure.
0: Well, and especially when you take credit cards online, like it has nothing to do with you guys. It's like those credit card yep. processing companies take a transaction fee, and that's everywhere. It doesn't really matter who what you use, right? Like, so people, yeah. I think, forget to factor that in. So if the guy's paying a platform, you know, ten percent plus his um, credit card transaction, plus three percent or whatever, right? yeah. yeah, like you're losing a significant amount of money. So I, I think that's that's really great that you guys you know kind of charge a, a flat fee, uh, kind of no no hidden fees, and and actually I've actually worked with some people that are actually using your your platform, um, you huh. know, which which I think is is really cool. But I'm kind of want to maybe um, transition into, you've done a ton of startups, you've done a ton of kind of successful startups, I think that, you know, people have heard of you through one of your three startups, four startups. Um, But (laughs) what advice do you kind of give people that are maybe thinking of kind of raising money compared to bootstrapping, because you've done both, but you've built extremely successful companies, you know, from bootstrapping them yourself?
1: Yep. So I was actually just having this conversation yesterday okay. uh, with a founder, but uh, so uh, it's fresh on my mind. Um, sure. But so I think, I think there's a few different things that go into it. Um, the first thing is it was a lot easier to bootstrap a company, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. Okay. Um, there was just a lot less competition out there. So not necessarily even direct competition with you, but just there was there were fair, far fewer sort of startups out there. So, you know, you were getting far fewer emails, you know, the reaching people, like people, there was less noise. So today, um, in 2018, there's just a ton of startups out there and everyone's buying for your attention. Right. So it's much harder to get away as a bootstrap company, you know, that has maybe little to no marketing budget, has, you know, less money to hire great people, that sort of thing. So just right off the bat, you're sort of put in this disadvantage um, in 2018 from being a bootstrap company. You just have far fewer resources.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: and that being said, I think also there's there's a lot more money out there too. There's a lot more uh, investors. There's a lot more VCs. There's a lot more angels. Um, they're willing to put money in and not give you terrible terms. You know, they're sure. they're going to they're going to write you a check and they're going to be. They're going to be supportive, hopefully, and they're not going to try to take advantage of you. Whereas maybe 15 years ago, um, an investor would be like, okay, I want 50% of the company and all the voting rights, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so I think the the investor market is a little bit smarter and, and realize that they want to invest into entrepreneurs that are going to build businesses and that you know you want a fair terms for the entrepreneurs because the entrepreneurs can be more motivated. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, there, actually, I wouldn't even say there's really downsides to raising money. The biggest downside is you're obviously giving up part of your company, sure. um, which for years I bootstrapped, and the idea of raising money was like, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, but, like, I don't want these investors owning any of my company, um, but I can definitely say like, we announced uh, that we raised like $3 million end of 2017. And Congrats, it man. Was That's great. The best to see. Uh, thanks. Thank you it was the best decision ever for Podia because now we have, you know, eight people, um, super talented. I don't have to worry so much about, you know, like shaving off ten, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 on someone's salary to find someone who's just not quite as good gotcha. because we have the money to get the best people. Sure. Um, plus we have money for marketing and we have, um, you know, I, at the same time, like, because I'm a bootstrapper, I come from that world where it's like, I want to be super frugal and i don't want to spend too much and i want to make sure that you know we have money for the future and that sort of thing but uh fortunately we're like in a really really good position that we're doing super well um so we don't have to worry about those sorts of things sure
0: well and you guys are obviously like have recurring revenue as well so yeah. that makes a lot of sense and and i get it I i think at least and and it sounds like you you would kind of agree with what i'm about to say is you almost need to do what's right for kind of the business at whatever state the business is in. If if at the beginning, it's just like two friends trying trying out a project, you probably don't want to raise some money and and maybe that project takes (laughs) off. And then you're like, Oh man, we need to scale to, you know, actually get some more, more help. Maybe you go raise some money. Or maybe you say like, you know what, maybe we'll, we'll just see where this goes for a couple more months. And like, I, I think some people pick one or the other, right out of the gate, and sometimes it can potentially hurt them down the road. Is that kind of a fair way to, to put it?
1: Yeah, totally. So um, I think a lot of people think that when you raise money, that means you raise money from day one, and that's just, sure. that's just not the case. So with Podia, for example, the first year, we didn't raise anything. So it was just me and developer and some of my money from my own bank account. Um, and then we started to sort of get – some growth going. We started to understand that we had something here. And it was at that point when we went um, looking for investors, but actually uh, they kind of started looking for us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it made it a lot, it made it a lot easier. Um, But uh, yeah, like you don't want to raise money day one. You want to have an idea, you want to have a project, you want to have a prototype, you want to have some customers. Money is really for, money should only really be used for putting kind of fuel to the fire or um, if you are so sure that that extra like 100, 200, 500, 1 million, 2 million, whatever, is going to get you to the next level. Sure.
0: But correct me if I'm wrong, you guys kind of, your your team's kind of spread out and you don't really have like an office where you guys all meet every day. Is, is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm technically our headquarters in New York City, but I'm sure. the only one here. <laughs>
0: okay. Sure.
1: So... Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we are, we're spread out acro- across, uh, we have two in Canada, so two in Edmonton. Sure. Uh, we have a few in the United States and one in Ireland as well. So, um, distributed team across a lot of different time zones. Sure. Um, but remote working is another thing I could talk a lot about as well.
0: Yeah. That's kind of where I was going with this. Cause I actually know, um, a couple of the developers that actually work for you. I, I'm just, cause I live in Edmonton and I know Kyle and, and Justin who uses your platform yeah. all the time. I used to work with Justin. So, um, the cool thing to me about kind of what you're doing is I think you're saving just a ton of money on not having like a uh, an office space payment a month. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh, thankfully I have a nice angel investor too that gives me free office space. So nice. I don't even have to pay for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, if all That's eight great. of us were in New York, like let's think about that. I think that would probably be, I'm not exaggerating here, that would probably be $5,000 a month in office rent. Sure. Um, so that's, you know, what, 60 a year sure. <laughs> that we're saving from, sure. from also being a remote team.
0: Well, even if you flew in the team a couple times a year just for a meetup, you're still saving a ton of money, yeah. right? Like,
1: and um, we actually just did that last week. Uh, we had our first team retreat um, cool. in Portland, Maine. Nice. So everyone flew there. We spent Monday through Thursday uh, hanging out, getting to know each other, and working. And it was actually awesome because it was the first time I met three out of the eight people. That's cool. and, and a lot of them, was the first time they, they met each other as well.
0: That's cool. So I, I do want to kind of get your thoughts on um, remote workers because you've done it a few times for for a number of years. What advice do you kind of give to people? Because I've had people on the show where they're like, I do it, but don't do it. It's awful. But you have seem to yeah. be one of the few people I've met and come in contact with where they've actually made it work and it, I would maybe argue is probably more successful than maybe actually having people in a, in an office. It's like maybe that's um, naive to say, but but what's your experience with that?
1: So so yeah, I think uh, first of all, I think uh, remote working is sort of becoming a big popular thing right now, and I think it's working sure. really well for a lot of companies. You know, it's working. WordPress is fully remote now. Yeah. Um, GitHub is fully remote. You know, Basecamp is one of the ones. Really well known for being mostly remote as well. Sure. Um, but the the thing that I found honestly is really just the most important thing is just uh, communication, but not over communicating. Okay. So you know, like you uh, on Slack, or so we use a combination of Slack and Trello basically. Right. And you want to communicate throughout the day, sort of, you know, things you're working on, things you're not working on, that sort of thing. But you don't want to be a distraction in the sense that you don't want to. Um, you know, knock on everyone's door every hour. Uh, so it's gotcha. really nice to sort of have, it, have a group of people that sort of they can work autonomously. Like that's very important as a remote team. So say someone's working on like a project, you know, they can kind of go and do it on their own and then they can check in if they have like questions, that sort of thing. Um, it's also important not to, I think, schedule too many meetings for remote teams. So I think people think that, oh, you're remote, so you don't see each other. So we have to talk every single day. Um, on video chat, but like that's not the case either. So we only have one scheduled meeting per week, which is okay. Monday at noon, where we okay. all jump on a video chat and we sort of go over everything for the week, and then sort of everyone just kind of goes off and does their own thing, um, and then we check in throughout the week. But it's not this thing where you have to have daily standups, and I think that sort of gets into the um, gets into the the negative side of remote working, where people are like, oh, I got to check in a bunch because we're not in the same office.
0: Sure. Well, the thing that always... Well, and tell me what your thoughts on what I'm about to say. is like the thing that I always found interesting about kind of being on the design side and I would put developers kind of in the same boat is I'm literally either like building something that you can look at or as from the developer, you're like, I'm checking in code. You can see if I'm working or not because like my deliverables are so kind of tangible. You can see if I wrote like three lines of code today, or I didn't write any, or I wrote like 30,000, right? Like maybe you're not checking in Well, you should check in kind of daily. But I I mean, as a generalization, like it's not like it's this abstract kind of thing. You can see if people are are pulling their weight pretty quickly, at least from the design developer kind of side of things. So I, I think to your point, like you don't, you can leave people alone because you can kind of see if they're working or not working within like a week or two anyway
1: is that fair to say yeah yeah definitely and i think that um you know i definitely don't monitor people's daily work activity you know whether you you know committed three lines of code or or a hundred i think what's really more important is that you know you have this sort of sprint that you're working on or you have these trello tickets that you're going through and you know you're updating the trello ticket and you're you know checking off to do's and you're sort of talking it through. And then on on our weekly Monday meetings, you sort of just give a status report of like the overall progress and where things are at. I think that's so much more valuable than, you know, Hey Chris, or Hey Kyle, like how much have you gotten done today? (laughs) You know, that sort of thing. Um, And it also takes the pressure off people too. So we all know like every single day we come to work, we're not going to be at our like 100%. It's just not possible. Sure. So there's certain days where like Tuesday, you know, maybe I'm not feeling super productive and so you know because it's a remote work environment I don't have to stay at the office I can go run to the gym or I can go walk around the park that sort of thing and then I can come back feel re, uh, revitalized and get back to work so sure. I think the remote is super friendly for that sort of thing yeah. um, whereas like in an office you feel like oh I got to get there at 9 and I got to clock out at 5 even if like between 2 and 4 I'm I'm not feeling well
0: yeah no I I 100% agree I always find it interesting cuz I am not a morning person and there's days that sometimes like noon rolls around and I wake up or I'm tired the whole day and like eight or nine o'clock in the evening rolls around. I'm like wide awake and it would make way more sense for me to start working at that point than, you know, kind of struggling through the day, right? Or even like you said, go for a walk or go to the gym and sometimes that doesn't make sense. um, And And there's no social pressure too. Yeah.
1: You know, when you work in an office, you're like, okay, I'm not going to leave my desk for the next hour because people are going to look at me. Fun, yeah. you know <laughs> whereas whereas you're, you know you're in slack and you can be like hey guys a brb is gonna go for a walk and it's just it's it's less of this like social pressure sure um so there's that side of things and i think also the other side of things is that when you hire remotely you really get a much broader range of people and talent
0: sure. uh
1: whereas like if you're just hiring for say new york city there's mm-hmm. just a much smaller pool like it's new york city versus the world <laughs> sure yeah fair. you know so you get you, know, you get to work with people who are like, for me, for example, I get to work for people in Ireland and I get to work with people in, in uh, Western Canada. So you get more perspective sure. on the product and you get different types of people, which really helps uh, when you're trying to build a product for people. Sure.
0: Well, no, I I think one of the best things I ever did in my career was actually like take a class where you had people from kind of all over the world. And there, there was two things that kind of always stuck with me. It was one of those things that like, you take even something as simple as like the colors like red, white, and blue, Well, in North America, everybody's like, well, that's the American flag, like that's America. But if you're in parts of Europe, yeah. they would say, well, that's France. And I, I know that's like a really, really simple version of, of what I'm trying to get at, but just even having the perspectives where like, hey, this button means this, or this context means this in like this part of the world. Yeah. Or like, I think another example that's kind of sad is you have like people in a boat um, you know, maybe like down a canal somewhere in, in Europe or, or wherever. And some people will say like, oh, those people are on vacation. And then some people will be like, no, those people are like refugees. And you're like, wow, like yeah. that's totally opposite, right? So I think just having people and the diversity across different parts of the world to give you like, hey guys, this means this or that, or like you just the perspectives like you touched on, I think yep. is undervalued if you just kind of hire Um, The same types of people in in kind of one geographic location
1: Yeah, it's much better from like a cultural perspective Um, And it's also really fun working with people that are different than you and are from different parts of the world Um, You just learn a lot more, you know, I know more about Ireland now than I ever would have Sure without working with Jamie for example. Sure.
0: Well, and I, I think the other thing too is even if you're not like at work at your computer working with the tools nowadays, if somebody has a quick question, you just like look at your phone and say like, hey, man, that's over here. And then like the conversation's yeah. over, like even if you're, you know, it's like eight o'clock at night and you're just getting in or, or whatever. Right. It doesn't really matter. Like we're so connected nowadays that yeah. good communication so easy. Um, but I am kind of curious to know, is there any other tools that you guys use kind of on a, a daily or weekly basis that you found really useful for kind of working remote
1: mm-hmm. so i think the there's a few that we use and they're all really helpful okay um so so zoom is what we use for video chats on monday right. on our mondays we used google uh hangouts for the longest time and it was just sure. so buggy and yeah, the is. audio was and the video was slow and actually moving to zoom was almost life changing for the company because it was like, Oh wow, I can see you in HD and like, (laughs) Oh wow, you're coming in clear. So, um, you know, big, I'm a big advocate of zoom, you know, it's not even that expensive. I think we pay 16, 17 bucks a month or something like that. Um, so that's what we use for for our, our video chats, uh, for kind of day to day operations. We use Slack. Um, you know, we have our separate channels, you know, one for product, one for development, one for marketing, et cetera. And, um, we have a bunch of different integrations that we use um, some on the like fun cultural side and then some on the, you know, GitHub notifications, that sort of thing. Uh, we also use Trello for all the product management. Um, okay. We started with Basecamp about three years ago, Okay, uh, but Trello is just, there's something about Trello that I really like, this idea of like, you move things from one, the left all the way to the right. You just feel, you feel good. Yeah,
0: no, totally, <laughs> um, I mean, it, <laughs> I feel like you're accomplishing
1: yeah, something, a, right? Right, right. And we've got like these really clearly defined buckets of things, and you can really see at a glance what what um, everyone's working on and like what the roadmap is, etc. So we like we love Trello for that. Um, for all kind of collaborative text stuff, uh, we use Dropbox Paper. Okay. Um, so we moved to Dropbox Paper about a year ago, and it is it it beats Google Drive, Google. Uh, Docs out of the water. Interesting. It is, yeah, it is the best tool okay. ever for like product specs, um, team collaboration, commenting, etc. Like I've convinced a bunch of different startups to move to Dropbox Paper. Wow. Um, this is like an ad for them right now.
0: No, no, <laughs> but, it's good. I I haven't even tried it. <laughs> to be honest, I canceled my Dropbox account and I never even tried it. <laughs> but no, I'm fascinated.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I mean. The, there's a lot of really cool things that it does, um, with, you know, images and video and just the way that it's like laid out, there's much, much more white space. So it feels much more like a whiteboard. Okay. Um, and the commenting is really, really good too. Um, so we use that for all kind of collaboration stuff in terms of like product specs, uh, roadmap, that kind of thing. And then we still use Google spreadsheets for any kind of numbers data thing because, uh, Dropbox paper doesn't have really that functionality yet. Okay. Um, so we use that for, uh, you know, looking at our, like, performance metrics, et cetera. And then we also use GitHub for all code, reviews, we don't really do reviews, but, like, pull requests, commenting, um, all that sort of thing. And then we use Envision for, uh, or we use um, Illustrator and, and um, Sketch for design, and we use Envision for kind of sharing and talking about mockups and stuff like that.
0: Sure. No, that's that's very cool. I, I think that that's really great. but. Sadly, Spencer, we're we're out of time, so let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and Podia.
1: Sure. So uh, very easy, uh, Podia.com, so P-O-D-I-A.com. And if anyone's wondering, Podia is the plural form of Podium, so the idea is that we give everyone a Podium to be able to sell content. Very cool.
0: Uh,
1: So my name is Spencer Fry, as you guys probably guessed, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but you can find me on Twitter, is Twitter.com slash Spencer Fry Fry. Um, and that's the only real social network I use. So um, feel free to hit me up.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, Spencer, I really appreciate you taking the time in your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter, Please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at ElectricMantra.com and keep building the future.